Well, it's the 1st of November. That is to say, it's the first day of Scream-vember. NaNoWriMo has begun. So, yep, 1,665 words. Better get to it ASAP, or if you've already done it, well done. Are you going to do that 29 more times? Um, unless you're one of those ultra-efficient people and you've already done like 10,000 words and you're just like, ah, cracking your fingers and leaning back. Um, I'm a fifth of the way. You're a crazy person. Um, I love you. Keep it up. Um, but, yeah, it's the it's the first day. And it's the scariest day. I think, I think like, this is the make or break. If you can do it the first day, you go, huh, maybe that's not so bad. But the page is at its blankest, at its scariest, and you're at, even with an outline set aside and a strict plan, it's still right in that first sentence. Um... If you're struggling with it, what I reckon you should do is just go, it's a dark and stormy night. (laughs) Write something as, pick the most cliched beginning. Describe the weather. That's a popular thing. And like, that's what, like, almost seriously, that's something that a lot of stories do. And it's not necessarily invalid. It's just a cliche. Cliches are cliches for reasons. Um, But yeah, day one, what to write, what to write. What's the first thing? We have to do. Um, in any story, you want to be establishing your your hero, your protagonist first, your hero, and you need to introduce them and their their whole deal. It's still early on. You don't have to worry about the main plot yet. You're just introducing the characters. At least that's how typically how a story is handled. The other way it's typically handled, or and or the other way is the infamous prologue. And I have to say. If it wasn't, if it wasn't NaNoWriMo and you suggested doing a prologue, um, I'd smack you on the nose with a newspaper and like bark at you because it's generally a pretty bad idea, especially um, if you're more inexperienced with writing because prologues suck so much of the time, even in the best works. If you've read The Hobbit, the first chapter is an anthropology of hobbits. It's just like, and the hill hobbits are somewhat shorter than the other hobbits, and they like tasty treats, and they descended probably from... Tolkien can do it because he's Tolkien. Um, he established a genre and opened the eyes, the world's eyes to fantasy. But holy... Even the first chapter of Harry Potter... It's just, it's just Vernon Dursley waddling around thinking about drills and going, magic sucks and for like half the first chapter. Um, which, I mean, I guess it's not formally a prologue, but it is functionally. It's like not labelled as a prologue. Which, I mean, is that all you need to be a prologue? Labelled as such? Chapter one often acts as a prologue to just this random dude and they have to do the actual first chapter. And you're real bored. You're like extra bored you've already spent half your attention span for like your if you've got the tiny little attention span like i do and you go "Mm, i'm giving this book one and a half chapters at best if one of those chapters has already gone to just like something else then i have to learn introduce a meet a new character that just kind of sucks half the time but key rebuttal to all of that it's nanorimo and the first chapter is permission to do something completely indistinct and disconnected from the rest of the book. And just sort of go, me me me, write about ninjas for a chapter. And go, here's the history of anthropology of whatever creature you're exploring. It could kind of suck, but it'll definitely blow off the steam for that first day. I'm all for that. 
In fact, I think every story kind of uses the prologue, whether it seems like it or not. The first story beat... The first story bit of anything is always just its own little thing, completely distinct from the rest of the story, whether it features the main character or not. I think generally it is better if it does feature the main character. A fairly popular trope and something I really like as a technique is to take your main character and then, like, it's like a childhood or formative experience. Um, for example, the genre that I've been really interested in is called a sports fleece. So things like it's something that I was looking towards originally writing this month, and now this, war, I have to say this werewolf story is actually really gripping me. Um, but a sports fleece is about, you know, it's a, a sports team trying to get to do the best in a competition, like uh, Pitch Perfect or The Mighty Ducks or that animated movie Sing pretty recently. They're all in that sort of genre range. They're all almost the same movie. And they'll typically have a prologue where the coach of the team is playing when they're younger or something like that or they're having a game at some point and it goes horribly wrong and they go, everything sucks, I hate this sport or it establishes them doing the sport in a very flawed way that becomes the main motivation of the story. So if you watch something like Pitch Perfect, although Anna Kendrick is framed as the main character, the actual character who goes through the change in the story, the actual sort of protagonist is... um, What's her name? The 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 one in charge of the Bellas, the blonde lady with the little whistle and all that. Because she's the one who actually changes. And she's the one who has the first problem in the prologue of the story, being the first four minutes or so with the first scene. Um, it's probably not best to call that kind of thing. I, in my head, I'd write them down as a prelogue. It's just an isolated event which introduces the character and their flaw and like and some form of experience. I think it's a really easy way to spend your first chapter. And it's, it works. And it's a really good way to do NaNoWriMo. Just do, do the first chapter of just, here's an isolated event. I don't have to worry about the whole story. I just have to worry about, here's something shitty that happened to my main, my main peep. And then you kick him. Kick him for 2,000 words and go, ha. That's the first 2,000 to 3,000 words. So in the first two days of this month, just kicking your main person as a kid and then going, well, there's some trauma to overcome for the rest of the story. Whoop, whoop. The other, the other main time you sort of see prologues being really relevant, actual prologues is in horror stories. So if you're writing like a horror story, because um, horror has this unique problem where the whole goal is for your main character, for you, for the reader to be scared for your main character. And they're, for that, you need you need an emotional bond to that protagonist. If you don't care about them, them going through a scary situation doesn't really matter, or it's just much less effective. Um, so you've got to spend a significant portion, the first quarter to even the first half of the story, just establishing that character, creating empathy, and all of that. And then you spring the monster on them and make them run around screaming. I mean, Jurassic Park doesn't release the T-Rex until the midpoint of the movie, um, I think... Get Out doesn't have him getting captured until like, or really sort of the, the creep factor doesn't really scale. Well, this creep factor is always there; it's steadily building. It's a very unique and good movie. Watch Get Out if you haven't. Um, but it spends a lot of time on the burner as well, which makes the prologue really appealing because you need to make a promise to your reader that you are going to scare the shit out of them later. So you've got to spend that first little section of the story going, "Here's a random dude." 
they're walking along, they're kind of like my main character in some way, and then something horrible happens to them, and then you go, ooh, I guess that's where this story might go. Um, the so-called cold open on every crime drama ever, it establishes the villain as well. Um, and even, I guess, if it's not a horror, it's a good place to establish the villain in some sense. Hmm. But yeah. Just the one thing don't do is just don't spend the chapter just just doing the Hobbit thing, just relating backstory and well and exposition. If it's a fantasy, you really need to do it, but don't just tell it. You got to show it. But again, this is Nanorama, so do whatever the hell you want, man. Just go nuts, man or manette. Just, just write. Just say what happened a thousand years ago and how that's relevant. Um, Although a good way to make it sort of link back is to make some character in that a thousand year ago prologue show up again as just like a mummy later. I don't know. They find a statue to him and they go, huh. That's something you see a lot with prologues. They always call the character back just after or somewhere within the first half of Act 2. It's usually where like in the sports fleece I was talking about, they address what happened somewhere in that zone. Or there's a flashback which further adds more context to it because the first time it's happened it might just tell part of the story, which is really good because it establishes a question and a hook straight away in the story. The way I was originally planning to do something along these lines is I had this chapter planned out for my superhero-orientated story where the first quarter or so of the first chapter would be like this isolated superhero sort of event that the main character is watching on the TV show as a kid. Then they go out on a trip with their father to like practice abilities and something goes horribly wrong, scarring him for life, physically and mentally, and then he comes home and then watches more of that superhero stuff. And he's really obsessed with it, And but he's kind of kind of thinks his own abilities are kind of like a scary thing now. So he's got this weird conflict where he really wants to be a superhero, but what he really needs is to resolve his self-esteem issues as the story goes on. Um, but for this werewolf story, and this time I've done a little bit, I'm going to, I guess I'll go over what I've, well, I'll try and ad-lib a bit more of that. I've actually done a little bit of prep for it because I'm leaning more and more towards this idea of this um, dancing with wolves Dan- wol- I need some sort of pun with that. Um, wolves, tangos with werewolves. Ah, it's, it's a work in process. The title can come last. Um, but for that first chapter, what I had written out was, I think, it established that what I had in the original 25-point outline. So for that first 2,500 words or so, what I had written was the main character is a hunter and they really like that stuff and they really hate the monsters. So if I split that into five points and I did this ahead of time, I think it'd be really cool if I kind of took a... As much as I was complaining about Harry Potter spending half the first chapter just doing Dursley, um, I kind of like the idea of doing something like that for this, having like the first half of the chapter being from... Uh, werewolf's perspective, although you don't necessarily know that they're a werewolf at first, and they're getting hunted by someone, but you're empathising with them at first. So the first half of the chapter is them being like, oh, shit, run, run, run. And then the second half of the chapter, it pivots. The perspective pivots. Maybe they transform the werewolf and they lose their consciousness and they just become animalistic. Um, the perspective pivots over to the hunter, and then they 
fight the werewolf and probably beat it. Well, they do. They beat it. Um, I think that's a cool way to set the overall theme of the story. Although it's not a... It doesn't. It does establish the character. It establishes the theme really well doing something like that, where the character doesn't go through a change, but the audience is put through the process of empathy by being first put into the other side's perspective and then being forced into the main character's perspective as if they're the antagonist, but now they're the hero. They're kind of put through a bit of moral whiplash, which is the whole theme of this story. It's about learning to overcome hate and empathy and all of that sort of thing. Um, so in terms of like a five-point outline, the, the first monster, it's just the monster realising they're being tracked. Um, and then the midpoint change is there's a confrontation with the hunters directly and the point of view pivots. And the resolution of the chapter will be the hero and the ally and their ally defeating the werewolf um, and getting a lead on something else which creates a hook. And then bridging those, I guess. <laughs> I should have just said it in order. Um, when, it, when they realise they get hunted, they retreat and the fight is going to be an extended scuffle for the middle, for the third quarter or whatever. Um, but yeah, God, you feel a bit, I feel a little bit narcissistic just going over my um, storage. I guess in, in Inherent Nature doing a solo podcast is a somewhat narcissistic endeavor. I hope that hearing my, me think through the process is actually helpful. Feel free to dial at this point for these podcasts because the, the model I'm going to go is the first half being tips and the second half being me kind of playing with and trying to, ex, trying to execute those tips through what I'm doing for NaNoWriMo. If you don't like the second half, you can, I will not be offended. And I mean, I would never know if you tapped out at this point. So... So in terms of creating, expanding that five-point outline into a 25-point outline, taking that first point, the monster point point of view, where they realise they're being tracked, I want to introduce the werewolf character, have them realise they're being hunted, and show a reaction. So the first 100 words or so is the introduction of the werewolf, and it's a lovely day, and they're walking through a wooded path, frolicking along. Maybe they have a basket of cookies. Um, Then... Establish that they have some kind of item. They're on a delivery mission of some kind, uh, maybe a letter or something like that. They then at the midpoint turn of that first five point. <laughs> oh, I need different terminology. I don't know how much this translates to me saying it out loud. Um, they see the hunters and they recognize them as a threat, but they try to casually walk past, but they address him and um, ask him or her, I don't know, I'll flip a coin, and they address them for information. They have a brief conversation for the, for the fourth point. Um, he says he saw something work back there. Uh, it gives some, the, the character descriptions are given of the hunters, which is cool because it gives that whole sort of unreliable narrator thing. I'm going to have these characters as important main characters later, but they've got to be described through the eyes of someone that is really scared of them. Um, I'll probably redefine their appearance through their perspective later because I just love that unreliable narrator stuff. He realizes that uh, he, the wolf realizes they're looking for them and the wolf makes an excuse to exit the conversation. Um, I, I was kind of thought something like it would be cool, kind of cool to play up the perception misdirect a bit more and have them 
not necessarily described as human, the hunters. They're just like these monstrous things. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's day one. Let's not stress out on nuanced tricks. Um, the second point is he ret- the wolf retreats from the woods into the outskirts of town. Um, the wolf is going to have to make a decision about what to do because that's the Reckon Act 2 of the second of, the first of this chapter. Um, and they're going to try and leave the scene casually. So the wolf walks off, mind racing, concentrating hard and looking nonchalant. I reckon you can spend 100 words doing that. He briefly looks back though, sees one of them also looking back. We then get a scene change description as he goes off the path and enters somewhere else. I really like the idea of that look over the shoulder being a pretty pivotal moment, maybe something that comes up uh, again and again through the story because it's a pretty symbolic action about fear and hatred and all of that sort of stuff. Um, the wolf crosses the threshold in town, turns up a collar, probably put a bit of a disguise on. Um, that's the sort of midpoint turn of that second point. Um, considers having a drink or something like that. Maybe stops to read the letter, and that'd be a good, like, just a little little thinking holiday. I love Ipsillary, I think that's what it's called, embedded stories in stories. You can read the letter, and it's a really easy thing to just sort of go blah, blah, blah for 100 words. Um, it could introduce that concept of the werewolf cure, which I was is a thing for way later in the story. Um, kind of hooking it in, but maybe only implying it or something like that. Um, having him hesitate like that could be a good little tragedy as the werewolf gets screwed up shortly and they might have made it if they didn't stop and read the letter for some reason. Maybe they weren't meant to read it. I don't know. Then the main midpoint of this chapter is, unfortunately, the hunters get the jump on the wolf and the scuffle ensues. This is when they transform. So, in the point of view, switches. So I'll have the wolf... Still making their way through town, but then hears a whistle, um, and the hunters step out. The civilians clear out, and you get this cool, big, dramatic fight. Um, the wolf is pretty competent at first. Maybe he tries to talk, like de-escalate at first, but they're just like, no, 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 and they bring out a torch. It's a dim- let's say it's the dimming part of the day, and using a torch on a wolf, a werewolf, makes them transform. That could be a good plot device to make sure I keep actually bringing in werewolves or something like that. Transforms for werewolves, fails conscious mind recede, fails their conscious mind recede, and they try to maybe, and that's the third point, and then the human part tries once more to reason with them, but they don't listen. He leaps at one of the hunters, the ally, but the hero deflects them. Having the hero save his friend um, makes them look, as much as they're still the villain, it makes them look a bit more heroic even at this point when we see them as the enemy. Um, and then the point of view fully will have to shift over to that character um, and they'll describe the wolf through their eyes um, as something monstrous um, I think this will be the emotional peak of the chapter as the reader isn't sure who will really win because genuinely like they've empathised with the wolf but now they're in the perspective of the enemy so anything's happened that's a rare thing to have actually not know who's going to be the the person who's going to win here. Um, they'll feel more invested in the wolf, I hope, so it'll hurt when they lose. <laughs> um, I'll need to put some work into making the hunters appealing after this because they're probably going to 
they're, they're going to be dislikable. I need some kind of save the cat moment, which is a term from Scream running about. Like, you know that bit in Aladdin, how he gives the bread to the kids to make, you know, someone who's otherwise just a thief who would have been unappealing, especially to, like, Disney's sort of thing in the 90s. People are like, oh, this guy's just a, a thief. You know, if he gives bread to little kids, he's probably a good dude. So yeah, they scuffle, scuffle. Um, there's some conflict where the hero sees the weapon they need, and that can be the major turning point in them trying to get the treasure. They scuffle more. These bit, fight scenes, they, they write themselves. You don't really need to play in that part as much. But the hero finally gets it, but I don't think they should defeat the werewolf. I think their ally will be the one to deliver the blow. I'd, I'd like to... I know it's a bit simplistic, to keep your main character's hands as clean as possible like that. It's very Disney, but it also makes it very easy. And yeah, there's not a lot of room in a NaNoWriMo to do a complex character arc to that degree. At least not with this type of story I'm trying to tell you, unless you really zoom in on it. And uh, it's not the focus I feel like playing with. Maybe. Nah. Yeah, the ally does it. Um, so the final point is the hero and the ally defeat the monster and they get a lead on something else. So as the events wind down, they have a chance to... Also, they introduce, introduce a little exposition, characterization, and throw in a hook. Um, they huff and they puff on the sidewalk, and they have a bit of a laugh, probably. The hero is pretty shaken, though. It was maybe their first hunt, I think, or maybe the first hunt they saw completed. Um, so they oh, didn't talk talk a lot of talk pretty tough to their friend but they're a bit shaken they talk briefly to the townsfolk which is a chance for some relevant character information and world building again um they search the werewolf's corpse which i think would be good to describe it very sort of sadly they find a letter and that is addressed to someone which gives them something where to go next the hero reads the letter and goes all like, yeah, bingo, fuck yeah. And they go have a drink. They pass an open mouth kid and explain why they killed the wolf in their own biased terms, delivering the sort of anti-theme very early. But because of the framing, even though he's going to be, like the main character, the hero is going to be saying, the so-called hero is going to be saying, this is the right thing to do, because of the framing of the chapter, the reader isn't feeling, isn't jiving with that, so to say. And I think the end chapter should end with them Looking back at the wolf as they walk away, with some small amount of empathy, small amount of empathy before they tell themselves, no, 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 I hate that, I hate that, they need to be hated, yada, yada, yada. Give them that inkling that they can change, but then firmly establish that right now they suck and need some, have some growing to do. Plus it goes back to that throat looking over the shoulder thing that I'd like to do a lot. There's a good chapter to have called back to call back to a lot as the story goes on, which I mean probably is one of the main things of of an opening scene like this. So yeah, that's a closed little story, a prelog. Admittedly, it does actually impact the main plot because I introduced the little letter. I introduced the letter idea to it, but it is its own secluded story, a short story about a wolf, a tragedy of this tragedy of the hunted. That's the I'm not going to name it that because that would give it away, but, you know. Uh, 
But yeah, now I have to actually sit down and write it. Because I think I'll write that one. I really like that. Meh. I might also do a companion podcast to go with this, where I just read out each chapter as I release it. I'll call it Screamy Tales. I don't know. Uh, so thank you for listening. Um, another episode out tomorrow, where I'll talk about chapter two. Although, as far as this goes, word count, this is, is actually recommending word count beyond that. But, you know, some more tasty tips. Thanks for listening. Good luck writing. You can do it.